Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, alongside my great friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Beard, College Football Analyst for First Coast News down in Jacksonville, Florida. Brent, of course, also a longtime voter in the race for the most prestigious individual honor in collegiate athletics, the Heisman Trophy. And Brent Beard, here we are, week seven of college football in 2023, the Southeastern Conference coming off a seismic kind of weekend, I'd say, mm-hmm. as far as division leaders meeting up in Athens, Georgia. That was the Georgia team we had anticipated seeing in previous weeks. Unfortunately for Kentucky, it got a firsthand account of those Georgia Bulldogs. Meanwhile, yeah. in College Station, uh, a four-quarter affair, certainly not a blowout there. As Alabama gets the job done in improbable fashion, I'd say, Brent, in a lot of ways, in knocking off the homestanding Aggies. Yeah, uh, big, big win for, for Alabama. Tremendous uh, second half in a lot of ways. They got a lot of help from their defense, uh, still being able to affect the uh, uh, Max Johnson the way that they did. They ran the ball enough to, uh, to kind of keep things honest and run the clock. Jalen Milrow uh, made some really good throws, uh, and there is uh, consistent improvement. And there certainly was a Jermaine Burton signing, wasn't it, Trav? And, and, uh, uh, but I think what we saw at the end was kind of the opposite of what I thought might happen in the beginning was the Alabama offensive line doing a good job against the Aggie <coughs> defensive line uh and uh bama comes back home uh and the aggies stinging from that loss trav uh as we'll get into in a few minutes a gargantuan game again for them coming up uh this weekend yeah not a break for the aggies as we'll get into as we preview and review simultaneously around the southeastern conference and we'll get it going for this weekend in that noon Eastern window, Brent, as Arkansas travels to Alabama. Boy, the Razorbacks, we've talked about this in previous weeks. This was going to be the stretch for Sam Pittman's team. And starting with the home loss to BYU to head into Southeastern Conference play and then essentially four straight road games, at least games not played in Fayetteville, a couple of true, a couple of three true road games. And then, of course, the matchup with Texas A&M and Arlington. And at this point at two and four and zero and three in the SEC, the Wolves are howling a little bit louder there in Northwest Arkansas these days. Yeah. They've lost four in a row under Sam Pittman for the uh, first time since losing the last four games of uh, 2020. Uh, And as good as KJ Jefferson is, he can't play every position, so there there's still um, a good bit of struggles, uh, to say the least. 1.2 yards per carry in the last game. Uh, the shuffling on the offensive line, frankly, a fifth straight loss, as many think that will happen um, against Alabama. And again, you and I dealt with this uh, recently, and, and Trav – if they, uh, where's the tipping point for them with Pittman? I, I mean, again, I know that uh, he is 
wary enough as a veteran coach to understand what's going on here. Uh, we certainly thought that would be improvement in the offensive line. That really hasn't happened. Jefferson certainly has kept them together. Rocket Sanders has been uh, in and out. So um, I hope they're fair with him, but we both know uh, uh, fair is what is basically winning a ribbon uh, that that you get in contest uh, because college football oftentimes is not fair if you're a head coach. No, if you're not leading, you're losing basically with a lot of fan bases around college football, no matter how difficult the task might be. And it's difficult for Arkansas and the SEC West. I mean, you can just look at the demographics, the geography involved. It's not going to get any easier with Texas and Oklahoma coming in because that one carrot you could dangle out to say Texas kids was that come play in the SEC with us. You know, you go to Texas, you go to Oklahoma, you're playing in an inferior league. Well, you're not even going to be able to sell that now. So I don't think it gets any easier uh, with those teams coming into the league, whichever direction Arkansas chooses to go. You said it so much on K.J. Jefferson. I think he's had six interceptions in the last four games. Um, they're turning over the ball too much. They don't protect him well enough. Uh, Arkansas in SEC play has given up 16 sacks in three games. So uh, problematic for Dan Enos and that Arkansas offense right now. I think Travis Williams on the defensive side, you've seen some pretty good things in stretches. Yes. Uh, but Arkansas in conference play, again, giving up too much on the ground on the defensive side of the ball. So it's an imperfect storm that has come to a semi-head at least for these Razorbacks as they get ready to take on an Alabama team that we talked about, Brent. Uh, impressive as far as resilience because you don't overcome 14 penalties on the road huh. and a couple of turnovers on top of that. Turnovers, too, pretty deep in your own end that you you know put your defense in a, in a little bit of a tough spot there or at least one in which you look like you might be going in for a score there in the third quarter and then another in the fourth quarter in which you turn it over on your own end and then your special teams answer with a blocked field goal. And, of course – the subsequent return for a touchdown yeah. is wiped away because of what, Brent? A penalty. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And but I think what I I think what's been impressive about this team, um, besides Milrose maturity, uh, is uh, Travis's defense uh, under Kevin Steele. Frankly, has been very impressive in its ability to. Not only limit the run, but to me, and uh, this is what where we are now. You've got to get pressure on the quarterback if you're going to be successful, and that's what they're able to do. And and you add special teams in there with the block kicks that they've had this year, <laughs> even though they really haven't done anything with them. Uh, uh, still, uh, uh, I just think that uh, that their success there in number. Number 19 in the nation right now on the total yards per game. So significant improvement under Kevin Steele. No doubt. And they're getting it from all three levels, whether it's pressure on the quarterback. It's not just one or two guys. It's not just Dallas Turner or Chris Braswell. They're starting to see some of their interior, some of their true defensive linemen step forward, like a Justin Aboigby, like a Tim Smith, Tim Keenan, Jaheim Otis. Those guys have joined the party. And then, even at the inside linebacker positions, they're getting some pressure when they choose to bring those guys. Deontay Lawson, Tresman Marshall, Jihad Campbell, 
So it's exactly what you would want in a year in transition on the defensive side as well. Multiple guys producing seven interceptions for the Alabama defense, uh, six of those coming from different players. So it's it's not just a star power driven unit, although they have that. They're getting Mm -hmm. it from everyone on that side of the ball. Let's talk about the Georgia Bulldogs coming off their most impressive total team performance of the season in that shellacking dropped a 50 burger on Mark Stoops in the Kentucky Wildcats last Saturday night in Athens. Next up, a feel good trip to Nashville, Tennessee to take on a Vanderbilt team really struggling right now. And certainly a team when you talk about the question marks, it starts with the status of the quarterback situation, I would guess. Well, and, and, and that remains still somewhat, uh, uh, up in the air too. I mean, a AJ Swan being their quarterback seems like it, it was three months ago, doesn't it, Traff? Uh, but the but Georgia really was able to put things together uh, and looking uh, extremely impressive. Most complete game of the year. Boy Carson Beck, twenty eight of thirty five for three eighty nine. Uh, only missed seven passes, and three of those were dropped. Um, the, um, and, and they really held Devin Leary to 10 to 26 defensively what was impressive. They, two things in that game that really stood out to me. One is they did something different and I give Mike Bobo some credit that he probably never gets. They really threw the ball to set up the run instead of just the other way around as they have done. And Trav to me, that still doesn't get enough publicity here. One of the big reasons they won this game is they held Ray Davis to 59 yards after he ran all over Florida with 280. Uh, uh, Trev, would you would you think for Glenn Schumann uh, and uh, that uh, defensive staff for for <laughs> for Joe, Georgia, including Will Muschamp? Uh, I imagine Ray Davis's name was mentioned a few times. And they didn't want a repeat of 280, did they? Yeah, and uh, speaking of Ray Davis, that's what Vanderbilt doesn't have right now coming up this week. So you see Ray Davis one week, you see his old team the next, and looking at this Vanderbilt offense right now, pretty glaring the lack of a rushing game. Ken Seals, when you just look at his numbers against Florida, 19-34, 280, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That looks pretty good because you know Will Shepard is going to be a threat on the outside. And they've got multiple guys, really, uh, at those receiver spots that are pretty good players. But uh, going to be tough once again for Vanderbilt, you have to think, with the now mighty, seemingly mighty Georgia Bulldogs, as you said. If Beck and that offense are going to get off to those kind of starts on a fairly regular basis, uh, that's going to be an even more difficult team to handle. In the future, 3.30 in that window, Eastern time, coming up on Saturday. Speaking of the Florida Gators coming off that home win over Vanderbilt, on to Columbia, South Carolina. You talk about a fork in the road game for these two teams as it relates to that next tier behind Georgia in the SEC East. This is one of those games that will go a long way, Brent, in defining that structure. Well, this is one of those 50-50 games that you and I talked about at the beginning of the year that that, that would really determine 
uh, where Florida goes bowling, frankly. They, the defense did better after the Kentucky debacle, holding Vandy to one of ten on uh, third down. Uh, I think they've kind of realized the limitations for Graham Mertz. Uh, if he's within 25 yards, he's pretty accurate. Anything outside of that is not. Arliss Boardingham, their tight end, did a good job. Seven catches for 99 yards. Montreal Johnson, 135. They need ETN um, uh, to play as much in this game uh, as possible. I think a big a big stat here is that uh, that South Carolina offensive line, <laughs> 131 of the nation, Trav, and sacks allowed. Uh, so uh, you may have a situation here if Austin Armstrong can uh, uh, deliver the game plan with them that Spencer Rattler could be uh, uh, running a little bit during this game. But, again, uh, frankly, just a big game for both these teams as far as where – uh, they are going to be going, uh, and I, 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 don't, I don't know if I want to say this game is a coin flip, but the way both these two teams have played throughout the year, Trav, I think in some ways it is. Yeah, South Carolina coming off the bye week, too. Should be rested, recharged, ready to go, playing at home at williams Bryce Stadium. You're right about Mertz. He's not a big yards per attempt guy. That passing game isn't more along those lines. I think that's the biggest deficiency I see with Florida. And it's really one we feared for this Florida offense going into the season, explosive plays via the passing game, not just because of Mertz, but the people that it has on the outside. Ricky Pearsall, the numbers are good Mm -hmm. at the wide receiver position, but still uh, nothing really resembling, you know, a Percy Harvin, um, a Quezzy Green, you know, some of those receivers we've seen in years past uh, not able to threaten the deep part of the field enough. And that's when you worry about that run game being able to sustain because people can really then sort of focus on Johnson and Etienne and the rest of those Gator backs. Also at 3.30 Eastern on Saturday, you alluded to this one a little bit earlier doesn't get any easier for a Texas A&M team coming off a very disappointing home loss to Alabama. It is on to Knoxville, Tennessee, where we talk about rested teams. That should be Josh Heupel's Vols in Knoxville on Saturday afternoon. I'll tell you what, the numbers here that do not bode well for A&M. Um, A&M's lost seven straight road games. Uh, no Fisher coach team has defeated a ranked foe on the road since 2016, mm. Tennessee, Tennessee was off. Uh, and what uh, what A&M needed this week was either a bye or they needed to play a non-Power 5 team. And so that didn't happen. But uh, now both these teams, uh, A&M's number one and uh, tackles for loss <clears throat> in the nation. Tennessee is number two, but some concern certainly about that uh, A&M uh, offensive line that really did not hold up uh, during that time too. This is a, this is a really balanced, uh, this is some, something that you and I've talked about for years. If you can be balanced, you're hard to beat uh, Tennessee, uh, 
235 passing yards per game, 231 uh, on the ground. So, uh, and, and Trav, the other thing is, kind of like Sam Pittman, uh, if this is another A&M loss, and that is two in a row, um, the, those Aggie big money boosters looking at their checkbooks again for the bowed, I would guess. Yeah, I think for me it comes down to a couple of things in this game. Can Joe Milton in that Tennessee passing game take advantage of the back end of that Texas A&M defense right. like Jalen Milrow in Alabama was able to uh, last week? Obviously, the loss of Brew McCoy stings, uh, but you still got Ramel Keaton. You still got Squirrel Wright. Uh, you've got some guys that can still hurt this A&M secondary when the Vols go to throw it. And, you know, I'm I'm like you. I'm interested. I, I like Jalen Wright a lot at the running back position for Tennessee. Jabari Small, that one-two punch. Sampson has come along as a young back as well. Can Tennessee run it against this Texas A&M front seven? Something that Alabama really couldn't do. And then offensively for A&M, Max Johnson had to feel that that sort of pounding he took against yeah. Alabama because it was it was consistent. But I'll say this: I like his presence for A and M in this spot. Veteran player, he's made some big starts on the road in the past. Uh, he helps me feel better about the vulnerability, I guess, of the A and M team in this spot. We've seen it in the past. Alabama beats a team the previous week that anticipates winning against the Crimson Tide, and then how many times, especially if they have to go on the road the next week, it shows up in another sort of disappointing performance. Well, so, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And the uh, but, but again, uh, these two teams have not played much. Uh, and uh, they've Trent, played more than they've played more than Texas A&M and Georgia. Well, I know they that. have, haven't they? Oh, yeah. Hey, look, listen. Anybody's played more than A&M in Georgia. <laughs> and, and I frankly think this is going to be one of the positive things about doing away with divisions and Greg Sankey saying he wants more games like this uh, uh, rather than them playing every 10 years. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of this, especially with Texas NOU coming into the league in 2024. We get into that primetime window on Saturday night. Auburn travels to LSU. Uh, another rested team in the Auburn Tigers looking to make things right on the road against an LSU team coming off a much-needed win. That was a season-on-the-brink kind of win for LSU at Missouri last week. And, boy, Jalen Daniels continues to put up the big numbers. I mean, this guy is averaging, what, 11 yards per pass attempt? Yeah. And it, it's yes. not like LSU doesn't throw it around a good bit. Now, it also speaks to the people he has to work with, Malik Neighbors and uh, the rest of that group. But uh, this one will be uh, one where they talk about Styles making fights. Well, Auburn wants to kind of keep this thing ugly, I would think, uh, with its run game and play some defense and just try to have a chance there in the fourth quarter where LSU probably feels like if they get Daniels and that passing game and some scoring going early, uh, this, this is a tough matchup for Auburn, even coming off the bye week. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and obviously giving them a lot of credit for what they did against Georgia, but man, this LSU's pass defense, 121 in the nation, 
Auburn's pass offense, 121 in the nation. Um, the, the, the thing that impresses me, Trav, the most about Daniels is he has 19 touchdowns along with that 10.2 average per attempt. And, but, Trav, he's only thrown two picks. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, listen, for what he's done, uh, he has been amazingly efficient, hasn't he? You know, you can talk about LSU's record and what it may still prove to be at the end of the regular season. I mean, they may be a three or four loss regular season team, but I think it's similar to, say, like Tim Tebow when Tebow won it in 2007. You know, that Florida team wasn't close to a great team, but he was so good and so productive in 2007, sandwiched between those national championship seasons in six and eight, uh, that he was able to get it done. I I think Jalen Daniels is that same kind of guy at this point. Yeah. And, you know, also Logan Diggs coming in from Notre Dame. Uh, he seems like he's kind of taken over that top back or the guy that they're going to turn to the most, a hard-running uh, talented guy that Brian Kelly obviously had some previous experience with. He's begun to show up more and more. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you look at this, this LSU team has to be feeling a lot better about itself after coming from behind on the road too, down pretty big. And speaking of which, the Missouri Tigers probably feeling like Brent as they prepare to travel to Kentucky on Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern on the Southeastern Conference Network. Feeling like they let one get away wow. last Saturday in Como. Uh, and a, a wild scoring affair. that uh, Trev, there were a couple times in that game where um, uh, Missouri almost had that game in the bag. Uh, but, but again, credit to Daniels for... Uh, leading them back, uh, that's made a difference. Uh, look, in, in this game, to me, the, uh, the, the real issue is uh, Trev Devin Leary, for whatever reason, um, this has not been, I think, what Mark Stoops thought it would be. Um, I mean, Leary, frankly, uh, in the SEC ratings, Yards per attempt, he's number 10. Passing yards, he's number 11. Uh, passer rating, he's number 12. Uh, and I know he, uh, he he was coming off some injuries and surgeries and so forth. Uh, but this has been this has been tough. Ray Davis really has had to step up, and he has. Give him a lot of credit uh, along with that, too. So my, my question is, can the Kentucky defense deal with Brady Cook uh, and Luther Burden, who, uh, Travis, frankly, besides Jane Daniels, is becoming a real candidate for SEC Offensive Player of the Year mm-hmm. uh, also. Uh, so th- th- this is a crucial game for both of these teams. Yeah, I think this is a sneaky good game in terms really? of four-quarter potential with Missouri and Kentucky and cook has been very good from the Mizzou side of things. He did have a pick against LSU at a point in that game last Saturday, where, as you talked about, looked like Missouri was able, was about to be able to put some real cushion between itself and LSU. And that, that felt like it turned the game a little bit there. Um, you know, Devin Leary, he hasn't been what they need him to be. 
throwing the football. I also think, though, his receivers let him down a little bit um, at Georgia last Saturday night. That being said, I think we all knew if Georgia got off to the kind of start that it did on offense, this isn't a Kentucky offense still built to keep up with a team like Georgia when all things are clicking uh, on that side of the football. So very intriguing matchup. Mark Stoops with some interesting comments this week in relation to NIL and (laughs) sort of the mismatch that Kentucky was dealing with there. Look, I I think we all know that the haves have it and the haves to sort of have nots don't. Um, But I don't think that was NIL era exclusive. I've seen Georgia teams before NIL do to pretty good Kentucky teams what Georgia did to Kentucky the the latest uh, round between the two. And, you know, you talk about this week, too. I guess the Mississippi schools get to the bye weeks, right? They do. Yeah, absolutely. And and State particularly needs it. Uh, They snapped a three-game losing streak, um, relying more on uh, Will Rogers. But I tell you, though, Travis, the the issue for uh, for Mississippi State's going to be Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, A&M, Southern Miss, and obviously the Egg Bowl. Uh, and what can they do as far as bowl, a bowl game is concerned? And Ole Miss, uh, Trav, do you think Lane thought they could go the break and be four and one? Uh, at this point, holding off Arkansas, the only loss being to uh, uh, Alabama, uh, Ulysses Bentley stepping up, Junkins, Jackson Dart continuing to be uh, uh, efficient and playing well uh, uh, under Charlie Weiss Jr., who has done a pretty good job. Uh, also, as offensive coordinator, uh, I, I think the question now is, uh, is after this break with Auburn, Vandy, A&M, uh, Georgia, uh, Louisiana, Monroe, Mississippi State, is uh, is this is Travis this Ole Miss team a double-digit winning team this year? I think this is the first half of the season that Lane really needed. Not that I felt like he was on anything resembling a hot seat, but no. we all know how last season ended how the Auburn situation unfolded. Uh, And there was, I would say, safe to say, an unsettled feel to that fan base Mm -hmm. and that situation in general. So this is exactly what Lane needed. This is a bye week that comes exactly when Lane needs it because if you watch the Ole Miss-Arkansas game, that was two teams wheezing towards a bye week. And unfortunately for Arkansas, it it didn't happen this week. Still have to go to, to Tuscaloosa. And I think for Mississippi State too, as you said, comes at a good time. You got some, you got some banged up guys at both what quarterback and running back right now, um, in a defense that needs a chance to maybe catch its breath because it still wasn't good uh, in a non-conference cookie last Saturday uh, in terms of d- dealing with the passing game. So uh, yeah, for the Mississippi schools, I think it comes at the right time, and it is. The midway point, Brent, and with that, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about the SEC. Who is your offensive player of the midseason in the league right now? If you had to pick right now, would it be uh, Jaden Daniels? Would it be maybe Ray Davis? Would it be Luther Burden, who you talked about? 
Which way would you go for your SEC midseason player of the year? Uh-huh. I think I'd go with Daniels because he's 73% of their offense <laughs> and, and has kept them in games. Uh, and, and look, I know people uh, kind of get fatigued with this from time to time, but Burden to me has just been as impressive as anybody I remember in a while. I mean, you, you've made the, the point, and it's true that he came out uh, as a five-star with all those accolades, but Trav, he has really lived up to it, has he not? What, what a what a weapon they have got. He makes Brady Cook and, and everybody else better. But, uh, boy, those, those are two extremely good uh, offensive players, aren't they? Let's talk about the defense uh, on that side of the ball. I think you got guys like Dallas Turner um yeah. of Alabama I think Caleb Downs the true freshman safety mm-hmm. for Alabama has been tremendously good uh but you look at Turner six and a half sacks leads the SEC nine tackles for loss that's got him up in the top two in that department you know Harold Perkins of uh LSU we figured he would be very much in this mix but I also thought that you know for a guy like Dallas Turner there would be some motivation for him, not only in what is essentially a contract year as a third-year player, but so much of the talk being about another guy who pretty much plays the same position, right? Yes. Uh, Perkins yes. coming off that big freshman campaign. Uh, he's been solid, and, and he had that big interception against Missouri last week. Um, but Turner has really turned it on in, in the first six games of his junior campaign. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And and, and you hit on it. Um, the, this is a money year uh, for Turner, uh, frankly, and uh, in, in how well he's done. And, you know, the thing that, that – and look, it's not that they don't have good players. We know that they do. But I, isn't it telling, though, uh, that that one of the team we're, we're not talking about uh, in terms of really – tremendous defensive players would be somebody from Georgia. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I just think, I just think that's significant that we haven't uh, mentioned that uh, at this point. And again, it's not that they're bad, many stretch in the imagination, but, but it's like a Georgia beat writer told me the other day. Um, I, I asked him about the defense and he said, well, here's the problem with the defense. Uh, the main part of the defense in the is is in the NFL, uh, mm-hmm. and this this team is not bad. Uh, but he said you can't have 15 players uh, over the last two years in uh, uh, a piece. 15 two years ago, 15 last year, uh, go the NFL trap and it not affect what you've got. Yeah, if I was going to choose a Georgia player for this, probably come from the back end of the defense, Malachi Starks. Right. Uh, A couple interceptions, 23 tackles uh, to this point. Uh, Kamari Lassiter has really emerged in the last year or so as a high end corner in the SEC. Uh, Tuscaloosa native, interestingly enough, and Kamari Lassiter. So, yeah, those are some names that I would throw out there. I think we feel pretty comfortable with the guys we talked about earlier, but just for fun. A little bit of a well, mid-season accolades segment for you. And let me throw this out here, too, uh, uh, very quickly, is as a group, 
could could you? I, I would say defensively, uh, uh, that that entire Auburn defense may deserve some recognition, Travis. Uh, particularly what they did against Georgia. That'll be challenged, obviously, with LSU and other games to come uh, because the offense really can't help them. But uh, uh, Hugh, Hugh Freeze deserves a lot of credit for what he's done on that side of the ball in his first year. Yeah, Jalen Simpson and DJ James were two guys that you figured that defense would have to build around. And when yeah. you have corner types that are of that caliber, that's a really good place to start. Jalen Simpson with four interceptions in five games. So uh, he would be up there for sure on a list of potential SEC midseason defensive players of the year. Well, Brent, it's been a lot of fun, man. Another big weekend coming up. Looking forward to recapping everything with you next week. Uh, and Trav, two games to look at outside the conference. That Oregon at Washington game. Boy, folks haven't seen Michael Penix in that offense. Uh, they really need to take a look at that. And, uh, and two other quick ones, USC at Notre Dame. Uh, you wonder what Notre Dame's got in the tank, and can USC beat anybody? Uh, and, Trev, <laughs> does anybody need to play a football game any worse than Mario Cristobal? Uh, even though it's North Carolina and, and uh, Drake May, they've got to get on the field, don't they? That's brutal. And what makes it even more brutal is it's not the first time it's happened with Cristobal. That's right. He had a similar instance occur when he was at Oregon. And, man, you love the energy that Mario Cristobal brings to his football teams. And it shows up also in his ability to recruit. But, man, some of the in-game stuff that we've seen from him in the past, woof, that's rough. And you you just compromised your entire football team. You know, Absolutely. With, with that and, and not just that game, but potentially the season. So, yeah, Miami needs to get back on the field very, very, very quickly. Brent, thanks again, my man. Look forward to it next week. Me too, brother. Take care. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you for joining us right here on Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the SEC. Until next week. So long, everybody.